0: The scripture reading this morning will come from Hebrews, chapter 11, starting in verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Japheth, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who though faith subdued kingdoms, who through faith subdued kingdoms, Worked righteousness, obtained prom- promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the enemies of the aliens. When I re- oh, we'll stop there. When I was 10 years old, I, I disobeyed my parents, uh, and I'll never forget it. Uh, and not, that, that not that that's not the only time I disobeyed my parents, but uh, this was one time in particular I won't forget because I ended up with, with a skinned knee and some bruises on my leg and shoulder, and it definitely was a memorable time. Uh, my dad was at work, and I was spending the afternoon with my mom at home, and she, I was 10, and she had to go run some errands. I can't remember if it was a grocery store or something like that, and so she trusted me. She said, Jay, you know, You can either stay at home, or we lived in a small neighborhood. I grew up in a trailer park. We lived in a small neighborhood. Or you can ride your bike and go meet up with a friend. I'll be back in an hour. I said, okay. And so she left. I decided I'm not going to sit at this house by myself. I'm going to get on my bike and cruise the neighborhood. And there was one kind of law, one rule that my parents had when it comes to me being able to ride my bike is I could not leave my neighborhood. I was not allowed to get out on the main street. I was not allowed to go back off because my neighborhood was surrounded by some woods that had some trails leading to other neighborhoods. And I was not allowed on those. I had to stay on my bike in the neighborhood and could not leave that. Well, this day, um, Dad was at work. Mom was running grocery, you know, getting running errands, getting groceries. And I was on my bike all by myself. And I passed this kind of lapse in the woods, this little open spot where the trees cleared a little bit, and you could see this other neighborhood just right there. I mean, maybe 50 yards, it was between two houses, you could look through this gap of trees and you're like, that's another neighborhood on the other side. It's kind of like the secret garden. I mean, it was like this mysterious place. I had no idea what was going on over there. And I had never been over there. My parents, obviously, were not going to just, you know, drive and look at this other neighborhood anytime soon. So, I made the decision. I said, okay, I'm going to look both ways make sure mom's not driving around. And I'm just going to book it through these trees as fast as I can. I'm going to go look at this neighborhood, see what it's about, and then come back. No one's the wiser. I won't have to explain anything. We'll be good to go. So finally get up the nerve, get you know, uh, uh, charged through the woods. Um, I had not, obviously, driven through there before, ridden through there before. Did not know that it was just riddled with tree roots everywhere. So about halfway down, you know, just going crazy on it. Um, I hit a root, front tire goes sideways and I tumble over the, the handlebars. And it was weird because this time as I t- I'm tumbling over the handlebars, the bike is like coming with me. And I'm like, what is going on? And once the dust settles and I'm on the ground, I realized, okay, well that was awful. I'm bleeding. My, my knees, both my knees are skinned up and stuff like that. I realized as I try to stand up that somehow, you know, both of my shoelaces on my right shoe are completely caught inside the chain to where I cannot get out of this thing. And so my 10-year-old self, I'm terrible at tying knots, Hannah can attest. I, this is just not my forte. I'm trying to untie this rat's nest of a loose shoe and, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do to get out of here. And I was not a super smart 10-year-old. I didn't just take my shoe out, my foot out of the shoe. Um, <laughs> and so here I am. You know, I'm sitting here. Tears welling up, my knees are hurting. I'm stuck on this shoe. I'm I'm where I'm not supposed to be. And I realized I've got to walk this bike home. I've got to pick this thing up, and I've got to try to, you know, wobble my way back across the neighborhood, back to my house before my mom gets home. And I just knew, and you got, and you know this, I knew that as soon as my mom saw me, she was gonna know, you, you've been outside the neighborhood, haven't you? You know, it's just some mom intuition that she would have known it when she saw me that. This, this is not a normal knee uh, scrape pond. This is a knee scrape from another neighbor, a different neighborhood, right? And so I embarked on this journey of, um, once again, I have no idea, was not making good decisions that day. Why I did not just take my hands even years ago? And we still feel guilt. And what that guilt is, it's like a, a tie that binds us back to that, that we feel like we cannot overcome. When you look up the definition to bound to, uh, bound to something, It's to fasten almost by by a band, as if you have a knot, a rope tying you from where you are to that thing. And we all maybe have experienced this or are experiencing this today. We feel like we are tied to a past decision, a wrongdoing, a sin that we just simply can't get away from. Everywhere we go, attached by a rope, it follows us. Or maybe it's not a sin, maybe it's a temptation that you're bound to this morning. Something that you've been trying to overcome, something that you've been trying to better. To not be plagued by, to not succumb to when it hits you. And it's this temptation that you're bound to. It feels like everywhere you go, it follows. So maybe it's a sin, maybe it's just a temptation. Or maybe it's a lifestyle, or a habit, an addiction. Something in your life that's not good that you just can't get away from. Like I said, it might be a certain type of lifestyle, how you spend a weekend, how you spend your money, or it might be something like an addiction to whatever you want to fill in the blank there to that you feel like you are physically bound to. That There's no way you'll ever be released from its grasp And it's got a hold on you. What are we bound to? Because what we are bound to is almost like our master. And this principle is seen multiple times in Scripture. First in Romans um, chapter sixteen, excuse me, chapter six, verse sixteen. Do you not know that when you present yourselves as someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. What Paul is saying here, regardless of what lifestyle you want to live or the lifestyle you're living in right now, you serve some type of master, whether it's yourself or the world or God, and you allow God to be your master, whoever you obey. Christ expounds on this in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, You cannot serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or vice versa. You cannot serve, you cannot truly love and serve up under two different masters. And especially when those two masters stand on opposite sides of the spectrum. We simply, and we know this, we simply cannot, aren't able to, fully serve our God, be bound to Him, and be bound to ourselves, or be bound to the world and serve the world. The lifestyle that we live and the decisions we make, we just simply, it's not possible. We just can't do that. You're either going to serve A or B. You can't do both. So this morning, what I'd like to look at briefly with you, with our time together, is two different men who are bound to something in Scripture. Two men who, ba- based on their decision, affixed themselves to something that led them down a path that changed their lives. The first one is Samson, and you can open up to um, Judges chapter 13 if you'd like to. We're going to start there in a second. Judges chapter 13, we're going to start and read verses 3 through 5 here momentarily. You know, Samson is one of the great stories, I think, in the Bible. It's one of those first stories that we learn as a kid. It's an incredible story when it comes to VBS time because of the imagery that comes with it and how how great it is to talk about such a strong man, helped by God, and all the the wild things he did. You know, Samson is a part of a very exclusive club that only four men that we have record of could ever say that they're a part of. His birth was foretold, foretold by an angel. God notified their parents, you're going to have a son. Only four men can fit in this category who had their birth foretold. And it's interesting, each man who fits this description, has birth foretold, was also not only just that, but given a, a purpose right then and there. Judges chapter 13, if you want to read, read with me, verses 3-5. through 5, The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the, from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We see in the context here, if we had read a few chapters before this, here in Chat- in Judges chapter 13, the relationship between Israel and the Philistines are they're too close. They're a little too buddy buddy. God's people and the enemies that stand on their on their borders have have gotten to the point where they're so close that they're starting to intermingle and intermarry left and right. And there's no tension. There's no wedge between the light and the dark. What you know, God's people and those that stand opposed to God. And so God says, okay, I'm going to raise a man here who will be the very wedge that drives Israel away from the Philistines and separates them. And so what God tells, you know, um, Manoah and his wife here is that he, they're going to have a son. He's going to, you know, he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to live in this, this certain vow we can find in the book of Deuteronomy. He's going to live a very specific way. And based on that, he's been given a very specific purpose. Look back at verse 5, the tail end of verse 5. And he shall begin to del- deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So the very first, first image we have of Samson here is a very godly man. is a consecrated, set-apart Certain person that God deemed, okay, I'm going to raise you up, I'm going to give you certain abilities through my spirit, and you're going to serve me and labor for me. You have a divine purpose. That's the first image we have of Samson here. Now let's skip over to Judges chapter 14. After some time has passed by, Samson has grown up. Let's read verses 1 through 5 once again. One through three, excuse me. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman, a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father, and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her. For me, for she looks good to me. In verse four, however, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he, the Lord, was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. So Samson, on some type of journey, is traveling down from where he's where he's living at, and finds a woman who's very beautiful. And just based on that soul outside attraction, he goes back to his parents and says, okay, I want her, I want you, parents, I want you to go get her for me as a wife. Organize the festivities, get the party going, I want to marry this woman. And it breaks their heart. They say, really, out of all the people in our tribe, or out of all the people in Israel, you couldn't find one woman that you had to go all the way to the Philistines and marry one of them. He says, I want her to be my wife, go get her. And so verses 5 through the rest of chapter 14, really, you see this marriage that is very short-lived between Samson and his wife. And this is some of the context that we've got to get through and get to to, to see what he's binding himself to. And it's really interesting, because when you think of Samson with his wife, who do we normally think of? Delilah. When I think of Samson at all, it's almost always Samson and Delilah. Delilah. They always go hand in hand, but before we ever get to that second marriage, we have Judges chapter fourteen, and Samson's first marriage. And it's so interesting what goes on in this in the following few verses. In paraphrase, David, David excuse me, Samson is walking. He's going to the Philistine city. He's going to Timnah. And he's about, to, he's about to meet his wife again, and the, the, the wedding hasn't come around yet. But he's traveling back and forth, and one time as he's traveling, he separates himself from his parents, and he's going, and a lion um, leaps out at him. It says the Lord's Spirit rushed in him, and he, and he tore apart the lion and leaves the dead body on the side of the road and walks off, right? No big deal. Then a couple of days later, some time passes. He's going back through that, that road, whether he's coming back or now he's going back to Timnah for the second time. He sees that lion, the old the dead carcass that had been there for quite some time now. And as he's walking by, he looks into it, and he sees that there's a colony of bees that have set up shop there or producing honey. And that's interesting for a couple reasons. One, uh, bees don't do that. Bees don't say, "Let's go find the nastiest area. Let's go live in a dead body and let's let's make our honey there." That's not how bees operate. But I almost think it might be an image God is trying to produce for us today and produce for the Israelites at that point, saying, the land in which you're living in, the state of the spiritual affairs in Israel, is so far gone. You are so cold and so dead to the relationship that we used to have, God and Israel. Something sweet, something good can still come out of here. You're not too far gone yet. The second interesting thing about this is, um, so Samson's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to have anything to do with any with anything dead. That breaks the vow if he willfully goes and touches something that has passed away. That deems him unclean and breaks the vow that he's had since birth. What, what does he do? Let me get some of that honey out of that dead lion and scoops it right up. He's willfully engaging in touching this unclean substance that completely wrecks the vow that he is trying to be living. And what this does is, this shows us a, a small snapshot into more of what, what type of man Samson is. He follows what he wants. He has these selfish desires. He has, whatever desire that he has at that moment, if he can do it, he's going to go for it. And as he's walking to meet his wife or the woman who's going to be his wife, maybe he's hungry and he sees his opportunity to get some fresh honey, completely disregards where it's coming from and what it's going to mean for him and scoops the honey out and makes his way. Now we know what happened after this. He gets to the, the marriage feast and all these Philistines gather there and there's about 30 of them around him and he presents a riddle down in verse 14. Chapter 14, verse 14. The riddle says, Out of the eater comes something came something to eat and out of the strong something sweet, Samson says, I'm going to give you a riddle, and if you can solve this riddle, I'll owe you 30 changes of clothes. It's a a lot. But if you cannot solve this riddle, by the end of this, this festival here, you're going to owe me that. You 30 owe me 30, or I owe you 30 changes of clothing. And so day after day, they try to figure this out, and they're not able to. And finally, almost at the 11th hour, the seventh after, you know, on the 7th day in the afternoon, these Philistines go to his wife, not Delilah, the woman from Tim not here, and they threaten her, say, we will burden down you and your family, your whole household, unless you tell us the answer to this, and she does. Let's skip down to verse 18. She gives them the answer, at the very last moment, as the sun is setting on the seventh day of this wedding uh, festival, verse 18, So the men of the city came to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And Samson in response, he says, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. He says, If you not used my wife. If you had not cheated and used my wife in this circumstance, you would have never found this out. Because they, Samson, I don't know why I'm calling this guy David, Samson had kind of rigged this riddle. No one could have known the answer to this because he was the only guy, when, when there was the lion with the honey, he was the only guy to see that. So he was the only one that could ever answer this. So he knows as soon as they give him the answer, he goes, you've been talking to my wife. Because he had told her. She had begged him, Samson, if you love me, He'll tell me the answer of this, and he does, and then we see the result of this right here. And as soon as he hears the answer, he knows exactly what's going on. You used my wife. His eyes were open to what was going on around him, and why I wanted to quickly just stay on that point just for a moment. Because how much that stands in opposition to his second marriage, right? From here all the way to chapter 16, Samson goes on this kind of tirade of these vicious attacks against the Philistines. He's lighting foxes on fire to burn down their crops. He kills a thousand men with the the jawbone of a donkey. These crazy stories. It gets down to chapter 16. He marries a woman named Delilah. Once again, his wife, this time, is not threatened. She's bribed. If you... Tell us the secret to Samson's strength, we'll give you this amount of money, tons of money. And so Delilah, one evening, as they are sitting in the living room, Samson, tell me the source of your strength. And he, and he lies, and he tells her, if you had seven new ropes, and bound my arms with these seven new ropes, then, then that would that would get me. I would I would be as strong as just a normal man. I wouldn't I wouldn't possess any superhuman strength. He goes to sleep. The next morning, guess what? He wakes up with seven ropes around his wrist. The Philistines charge in, ready to kill him, and he breaks them and kills him. So the next night she comes back to him and says, You lied to me, Samson. Tell me again what is the source of your strength? Because well, if you did this, then I would lose all my strength. And so once again, the second morning, he wakes up, and exactly as he said, his arms are bound again, the Philistines rush in, he breaks them, kills them, game over. Delilah says, you lied to me, Samson. Surely, now tell me the source of your strength. And he gives another answer. If you weave my hair, my seven locks, if you weave in a certain way, I'll be, and the same thing happens all over again. And it's at this point where I want to stop and scream at this guy, wake up. How are you not seeing what Delilah is doing here? If you're telling her, hey, if you tie my hands, then I might die, and you wake up with your your hands tied multiple mornings, you've got to be aware what is going on, right? How could someone so strong and so smart in chapter 14 be so blind here? And the last morning, she the, the, the next evening, she pleads with him and uses the exact same line. Same exact line the wife of Timnah says. It says, Samson, if you loved me, you tell me the source of your strength, you must not love me because you've lied to me three times. So And, he, and she continues to knack him about this. You don't love me. You don't love me. And finally, he gives in. He says, if you shaved my head, I'd become as weak as a normal man and... Anybody could get me. He wakes up the next morning. His hair is shaved. The Philistines rush in. They arrest him. They pull him out of his house. They beat him. They, got, they gouge his eyes out to where he can never see again. The last thing Samson sees is him being rushed out, him feeling no hair there, him being beaten by his enemies. His eyes are gouged out. He's, he's, being, he's thrown into the mill in guise of this very remedial job that the lowest, lowest, lowest of people had to do. And they put Samson there, kind of as an entertainment purpose. At the bottom of chapter 16, says, Whenever the Philistines at parties got bored, they'd say, Hey, bring Samson in. Look at this big, strong, mighty man. Look how weak he is now. And they'd pound their chest. If he's that strong, how strong must we be to defeat him? How can Samson go from chapter fourteen, where he's as soon as it happens, as soon as the riddle is solved, he goes, "You talk to my wife." He knew it exactly. How could he go from that to this point right here, where I mean, day after day after day, he gives this answer to his wife. It wakes up. It's it's right there, and he still try, he answers her again. It eventually gives her the truth. How could he be that blind? You see, before Samson was ever blinded by the Philistines, before he was made weak by their efforts, before he was bound in shackles, before the Philistines ever got to him, he was blind and he was bound to his selfish desires that dictated his every decision. All the way from taking the honey in the lot. you can see it, the snowball effect, all the way from there, all the way down to this marriage with Delilah Delilah that had no purpose in God's plan. His selfish desire of, what I want is what I'm going to get, led him to be blind and bound, or if you're from Alabama like me, what I I could say, you're bonded and blinded. He led him to that position To where when Delilah was tricking him, he was so blinded by, he wanted what he wanted, that he did not see what she was after there. And in the exact same way, we can sit in the pew today and we can go home and we can say, you know what, everything's absolutely fine, I'm living an okay life, and we can be sitting in consequences. We can be living in situations that are so hurtful in our spiritual life. But because we're bound to our selfish de- desires, and we're getting what we want, we feel like life is as if it is okay, and it's all right. And we'll keep lying to ourselves that, you know what, this is fine, this is okay. And all the while, we are blind and bound to ourselves, to the world. And we are ignorant to where that path can be leading to sometimes, just like Samson here. We can be sitting in the exact same position as he laid his head every night and you know the feet of Delilah the there it says, we can do the exact same thing as we're living with the certain temptations, we're living with the certain sins that weigh us down, that we just keep okaying, that we just keep saying, you know, it's all right. Just as Samson was blind and bound to his selfish desires, we can be the same way as well. look at where it led him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance into the sin and the sin which so easy, easily entangles us, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus quickly here. And I know I'm running out of time. I don't want I was about to make a Ben joke, but he's not here, never mind. Um, it's interesting. In this verse it, there's two different things. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that entangles us. What well, the writer of Hebrews is saying here, there are things that just slow us down. There are weights that we willfully carry on our backs that entangle us and trap us and hold us back from being the the Christian, being the father, being the husband. The Son, being the person that we need to be for God, there are things that weigh us down to where we cannot do that. And sometimes, based on our decisions to carry that weight, it leads us down a path just like Samson. Very quickly, I want to look at the second person that's mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 12. Because Samson was bound, he was blinded by his selfishness. Desires, But the second man mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12 here, Jesus, he was also bound, and bound to something as well. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 very quickly. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21. Let's go straight to verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What's interesting about this passage is, this is not at Golgotha. Jesus is not walking up to the cross at this moment. He just had this conversation with Peter and the apostles. What does it mean to, you know, who he is? He's the Son of God. And now he's telling them how to follow him. If anyone wishes to come after me, deny himself, pick up the cross. What is he talking about here? Jesus is not walking around Galilee with a wooden beam on his back, right? Right? He's not telling his apostles, we've got to go get physical crosses and walk our way all around, let everybody see it. But this was the weight he carried. This resolution, this absolute devotion to God's will over my own 24-7. Pick up the cross. You know, I wonder if this pinged, if this shot off some alarms to the apostles. Because up until this point, anytime you hear the word cross, especially in that culture, it's never a good thing, right? And so when he says, pick up your cross, well, they're saying, whoa, 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 wait a second, why are we getting condemned to death all of a sudden? He's saying in this moment, pick up this weight. That you're going to follow, you're going to deny yourself, and you're going to follow God's will above anything else. Pick up that cross, that weight, and follow after God me. And Christ bound himself to this cross way before Matthew chapter 27. Before he ever was arrested, put in prison, beaten, had a wooden beam laid on his shoulders, way before that moment he was used, he was already so used to the weight of the cross because he had been carrying it since day one. He felt the cross... When he's a twelve-year-old boy living when he stayed in the temple, he said, God's will over my own. He felt the cross when he goes back to Nazareth as, as he's a grown man and everybody rejects him. He felt the cross then because of the pain. He felt the cross in John chapter 6, verse 66, when he said, And many of his followers left him. The weight, God's will over my own. And he definitely felt the cross in Mark chapter 14, verses 32. Um, 32 and 36. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And then later on as he's praying to his his father, Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus had bound himself to the weight of always putting God first over everything else. And wherever that led him to, he could handle the weight. And what that led him to was carrying a physical cross. And because he was already used to the weight, he could handle it. Because he had been carrying it his whole life and he knew what it was like to put God first, even over his own desires at times, he could handle the weight that day on the way to Golgotha. So I ask us again, what are we bound to? Excuse me. What are we bound to? Are we going to be like Samson when we are bound to our selfish desires, the thing that we want out of this life, the things that we find joy in, the things that we find pleasure in? Because if we do, if we connect ourselves to those things, that weight will pull us down. Or will we be like Christ? We won't carry that weight, we'll carry something else. The weight of putting God's will first. And it's odd talking about that in in a weight Saying, you know, are you going to carry the weight of following God? But look at the last part of Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Because so many times, what we do as Christians, we say, okay, Jesus, here's all the weight of my life, okay? I've got all these sins, I've got all these weights on my shoulders, and this is how I feel. Take it all, I'm going to get on my knee and I'm going to lay them at your feet. But what we don't do at that moment, as we are lowered down, Casting all the weight and anxieties and all the weight of this world on his feet, what we don't do is when we stand back up, we do not carry his yoke. We do not carry the weight of a Christian. We don't bind ourselves. say, hey, I'll drop all this weight off, I don't want any weight back in in return. We want to cast off our shackles, we want to cast off our our bindings to the weight of this world, but we're not quite ready to to bind ourselves, to put on the weight of the cross. Today, what are you bound to? The last slide we'll have, and I left my clicker up here. I hope we'll say the same prayer that, Sam, that Samson did in Judges chapter 16, the very last. Samson is brought low. He's been living in the Philistine now for who knows how long. He's blind, he's been working at a mill, he's been brought into parties to be made fun of. No, We can rest assured been, he's been beaten time and time again. And now, once again, this huge gathering of Philistines have, gathered, have come together. Bring Samson out so that we can laugh at him. And he comes out. And he finds himself fixed between these two pillars of this building. And the depth of his prayer right then... Is amazing to me. And just try to put yourself in Samson's shoes. You are so low at this moment. He went from a hero to zero. And it's at that moment he lifts his eyes, he lifts his face to heaven, and he says, Oh Lord God, please remember me. It's interesting because you know he was a Nazarite. He had, had that long hair, nothing had ever cut it. And that was a semblance that God had always been there with him. But I wonder what it felt like when he woke up that next morning after Delilah's treachery and his head was shaved. I wonder if it felt like, and when he went to hurt the Philistines, he went to kill them and he had no strength, I wonder if it felt like God has forgotten about me. God has left me. He's no longer with me. And that's why he says, O oh Lord, please remember me. Strengthen me. Just this one last time. Today, I would like for us to say the same prayer. If you're in a position where you're bound to past sins and you can't seem to get away from, if you're, in a, if you're in a position where you're bound to temptations you can't seem to overcome, and you feel so isolated from God, He's never forgotten about you. We don't have to say the words, please remember me, because we know he's never forgotten about us. And if we're struggling with whatever weight that we have, whatever thing that we're, we're holding on our shoulders in this life, we can cast that off. But remember, when we cast that weight off of whatever it may be, when we stand back up from, from the feet of Jesus, we have the weight of the cross on our shoulders. That's something to be proud of. That's something that can motivate, motivate us day in and day out. That He is our Master, and we'll carry His cross. What are you bound to? This morning, if you're not baptized, and this is something you've been thinking about, if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you don't even know how to get from where you are to having a relationship with Jesus, if there's a need in any, any way in, in, in that regard, let's talk about it. Or maybe you are a Christian, and the weight of whatever it may be in your life has crushed you down so low, you need to look to your family and say, please remember me. Please strengthen me. If we can be there for you in any way today as a family, just come forward as we stand and sing.